Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Patrick Buchanan, creative director and copywriter. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 51. I've been getting so many emails and DMs from We Are Next listeners and readers who've recently landed internships and jobs through our job board and with the help of our weekly email and these podcast episodes. And honestly, hearing that, it's just nothing, nothing is better. So I just want to say a sincere thank you to everyone who sends notes of appreciation and support because it really is what keeps me going. Next week, We Are Next is hosting our very first online event called Starting Strong, Mental Health and Well-Being at the Beginning of Your Career. We all know how stressful and soul-crushing the job search and being junior talent can sometimes be, so we invited two of our most popular podcast guests, Miriam Gessus and Jocelyn Lai, to talk about their own experiences and learnings from their advertising careers. I hope you'll join us on Thursday, July 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, and I'll include the RSVP link in the show notes on the website so you can block off your calendar and join us. Our guest this week is Patrick Buchanan, a creative director and copywriter whose career has taken him all over the world to agencies like DDB Budapest and BBDO Moscow. Patrick is a great example of someone who comes from a completely different field, and he has some wild stories to share about how he found advertising and his experience co-writing a Super Bowl spot with Bob Dylan. One quick note, I referenced an interview from another guest that hasn't yet aired and that I'm still working on, just in case the name is unfamiliar and you're like, I haven't heard that one. Anyways, you'll hear it soon. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Patrick, this has been a long time coming. I feel like we started talking like at the end of last year, probably even before that. Yeah. I think you reached out to me about the podcast because you heard Lolita's yes. episode. Yes, she was one of my old students and she's a great person, was a great student. And I heard that and I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then I, I think I commented on LinkedIn and then I reached out like, hey, I'll, I'll do the podcast. That would be cool. <laughs> And we're actually in a new space. This is the first time we're recording at Philosophy in Los Angeles. Um, thank you to them for letting us use this like awesome little, like <laughs> it's like it's called Plato's Cave, and it's actually like very aptly named, I think, because it sort of feels like a cozy little nook. It's extra cool because you have a drum kit behind you. So yeah, the uh, one of the founders, that's his drum kit, <laughs> so nice. he can come in here and jam out, and they won't have to hear. You know, it's good it. when the cymbals are cracked. You've <laughs> Got a real drummer playing that kid. <laughs> totally. So I like to start all these conversations by talking about how you got your start in the industry. So can you talk about how you found advertising and made your way in? Um, it's a really crazy story how I actually uh, got into advertising. And like before I was ever, before I ever even had a thought of doing advertising, uh, I was a musician. I've been a musician since I was a little kid, basically. And uh, I played in a lot of different bands, a lot of punk rock bands, and uh, my bands would always tour all over the country. And I was always a writer, like I wrote all the songs um, and then, you know, to do like side jobs and stuff, I would I would write pieces for fanzines, I would interview people, I would just, you know, I just do a lot of writing and do like a lot of freelance writing. And um, so it was like... I was really into just doing music and that's kind of all I ever wanted to do. But then I started to get a little older and, you know, 
it's like I'm not going to be a rock star. I'm not famous. I'm not making a lot of money. And anybody who's ever been in a band knows that it's really, really hard to make good money playing music. So I thought, well, you know, what can I, what can I do to actually make a living? And uh, at first, you know, before I even got into like advertising copywriting, I just thought, well, I, you know, I just want to write. So I'll just get more into like writing. So um, at the time I was, I was living in Miami and it was just the weirdest, the weirdest set of circumstances because I had two consecutive jobs mm -hmm. where my bosses got busted uh, for like doing shady shit, like, you know, because in Miami, like it seems like everybody in Miami is just shady as fuck. Like everybody's doing all kinds of weird shit under the table money. And it was just it was bizarre. So I had this one job where I was writing at this like small local newspaper and the guy that ran the newspaper just one day just stopped showing up to the office and like nobody knew what happened to him and so the other employees and and me we kept coming into the office for like you know the next week and we're like where's this guy at and he just never came back and so you know that job just evaporated yeah. and then uh, I got another job as as like a sort of I don't know how you'd explain it exactly, but it was a, a media company, and they were trying to um, they were trying to create shows like reality TV shows that they were going to pitch to get produced. So I would help write a lot of the pitches for these shows that they were trying to make, and I would you know just do copywriting on their press releases and just whatever they needed written you know for their for their media company. And one day uh, I was at that job and the uh, husband and wife team that owned the place literally got dragged out in handcuffs in front of me by the FBI. And so it, it was just, it's, that's a whole long story that we don't even need to get into now. But so two consecutive jobs just went up in smoke because, you know, the bosses were, were breaking the law somehow. So um, I was unemployed and I was living in South Beach and I was walking down the street and I just looked up and I was right in front of the Miami ad school. And I was like, what, what is this? You know, I walked in and it was this amazing building. It was just like this weird kind of, I don't know, something straight out of your imagination, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I started, you know, talking to the lady that was there, you know, the, the recruitment person. And she was telling me all about, you know, advertising copywriting and I said yeah I'm, I'm a writer and she's like well you you might be great doing this and then like literally two weeks later I started classes there I just immediately like signed up and it just so happened that their you know their next quarter was beginning like right then so yeah. I, I got in like just under the deadline and then two years later graduated and then ever since then I've just been in the business that is such a crazy story it seems yeah. like such serendipity that like you would just you know turn around and there's the building itself and like whether you found advertising or I guess advertising found you just like met at the exact right time in your life yeah 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 I've I've found through just talking to a lot of people uh, in the business that it seems to me like there's basically two different types of people mm -hmm. that get into the business 
there's people that have absolutely been in love with advertising since they were little, you know, like maybe they were a teenager and they're like, I want to be in advertising and they're just completely all about it. Yes. And then there's other people like me who were almost sort of like anti you know, because like punk rock and counterculture, it's all, you know, it's against the man and, you know, it's like all this, this, uh, you know, consumerism and capitalism and it's like I was anti everything that but then it's almost sort of like the weirdest poetic irony that I can make a living you know for for these these companies yeah um but you know it's cool it's a really it's a really cool job and I love doing it so it's so funny that you say that I did an interview with a like a former colleague of mine out in Portland her name is Megan Amberson and she's um, like the director of strategy at an agency called Roundhouse. And she, was, she mm-hmm. said the same thing. She was like, she found it a little bit later in her career. And she had grown up with like parents who were like total hippies. And they're yeah. like, what are you doing now? Like you're working it's like for like all these like corporations and stuff like that. And the way she described it, she was like, no, it's like the most punk rock thing. Because like I get to go into like the belly of the beast and get to affect, you know, yeah. on, a, on a certain level, like yeah. the messages they're putting out there, like how they interact yeah. with their consumers and customers. So I just thought that was so amazing. It sounds like you had a very similar yeah. uh, relationship with mm-hmm. with the industry. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's like you're almost like a Trojan horse, you yeah. know. You realize that there's so much bullshit in in you know consumer culture and it's just so much of these messages are just horrible but then you realize I'm actually in the position to create the messages Mm -hmm. so you know even with just little things like like when you're when you're casting you know what I mean like if you're doing a, a TV spot and you have something to do with the casting you can say, I don't want everybody to look like all these people right. that I see. You know, I want to get more whatever. I want to get more diversity. I want to get, you know, people that don't look like models. Mm-hmm. You know, just even things like that. Like just more sort of reality and more more grit of mm-hmm. real life. And so that's really cool because we get to affect change from within. Yeah. So you mentioned Miami Ad School is a big part of your story. So you've been both a student and then later a teacher mm-hmm. at Miami Ad School. Was there anything about your own experience at Portfolio School that influenced the way that you taught your students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I had a, a few really amazing teachers and then I had a few really terrible teachers. And I remembered everything that I loved and hated mm-hmm. about each one. And even back when I was a student, uh, when I would have these experiences, whether they were positive or negative, if it was like a great teacher, I said, wow, you know, if I'm if I'm ever in this position, this is how I want to be. And then, you know, the flip side of that, I would have some like terrible teacher that would do something that was just not constructive whatsoever. And I would say, if I'm ever in this position, I'm not going to do exactly what this guy's doing. I'm going to mm-hmm. you know, do it completely differently. And I think one of the biggest problems that, um, that I experienced in, in the negative side of it was that so much of the time you get a teacher that will just say, you know, no, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling this work. And as a student, like you don't really know much, you know, I mean, you're, you're not supposed to know everything. That's why you're a student. Right. So 
Um, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't think I was the greatest student. I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, a genius or anything like that. I didn't have like the most brilliant ideas. I was, I think I got really good right at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was a two year program. And I think my first year I was just really taking it all in like a sponge and right. my own ideas weren't really that great. And then I think the second year, that's when I started to actually have the output. And that's when I think that my ideas started to, to become, you know, something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times uh, I would have teachers and they, they would just really give you sort of non-feedback. Mm. It was like sort of feedback, but not really. You know what I mean? Right. And they'd go, you know, I'd, I'd present something and they'd go, oh, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And I'd go, well, well what do you, you know, what should I do? Uh, you know, just keep thinking, just push it, just, you know, try something else, just work a little harder, just all this bullshit that doesn't mean anything, you know? And so at that point, I thought a creative director needs to know exactly what they like and what they don't like about something and why they like it or don't like it. And if you can't sit there and say, this is working, this is not working, here's why this works, Mm -hmm. here's why this doesn't work. If you can't do that, you shouldn't even do the job because like that's the job. You know, that's literally the job. It's it's in the job title, creative direction. Right, right. You know, I I think there's a lot of people who are um, maybe very creative people themselves, but the direction part might get lost on them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not to say that that these people who were were bad teachers, and I mean, there's only a couple of them. It's, it's making it sound like yeah. you know, I'm literally there was only a few bad teachers out of the whole two years, yeah. you know, that I was in school. So most of them were really good. I'm just saying that even people who weren't very good as teachers, maybe they were really creative people, and maybe they were, you know, good doing their job. But teaching is a, a different thing. So I guess that was a really long-winded way of saying. Um, I figured out that when when I'm teaching, I want to be very specific about this is what I like, this is what I don't like, yeah. here's what I think you could do better, you know, and that that's it. Yeah, I think what you're saying about especially the role of a creative director, I found in like my own experience, like working with creative directors and watching them do reviews with their teams, that the best ones are able to take even an idea that they don't like and find some shred of like, something that they can constructively like tell that person to go do with it it's never like just throw out this idea entirely like start over it's like okay that one angle was like kind of interesting but maybe applied in a different way like they're able to see some like glimmer of an idea or the seed of an idea even if it isn't fully articulated like in its form yet yeah 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 exactly exactly and also um i think it's important to just not really have not really get on a power trip and have an ego about stuff because, you know, there's, I mean, there's some assholes in this business, like straight up, you know, people that I think get really kind of drunk on their power and, you you know, maybe you present them something, what the fuck is this? This is shit, Mm -hmm. you know, start over. Like, like you don't need to do that. You know, if, if something is just straight up not working, you can just say, no, this is not working. We're going to kill this, Mm -hmm. you know, forget about this. Like, that's all you need to say. Like, you don't have to be an asshole. Right. I always tell people, don't be an asshole because, like, it's a, 
it's a small world and it's kind of a small business and you don't want to get some sort of a, of a reputation of, of somebody who's really hard to work with. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, if you're, if you're killing an idea, just say, no, you know, this one, we're going to kill this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can explain why, but you don't have to, you don't have to like try and tear the person down while you're doing it. And then, you know, like you just said, maybe there's a little shred of something that can work. And so then you go, well, okay, even though this is not working in its, in its current like format, this little nugget of insight right here is kind of cool. So, you know, let's not do this part of it, but let's take this part of it and, you know, let's see how we can maybe transfer it into something else that's working better. Yeah, totally. I Mm -hmm. think, I think that's really great advice for anyone who obviously aspires to be a creative director someday but also you know what they can expect from their creative directors like no one should have to be in an environment that is so toxic and tears people down and and I think yeah the more people can like speak up about that or not just like take it even as a junior I feel like you Mm -hmm. have the right to be in, I mean, if you feel feed off of that kind of environment, that's a different thing. But if like you, well, a lot of people don't, especially when you're yeah. starting out. So I think that's really good perspective. Yeah, don't get too hung up on yourself. You know, like yeah. I mean, one thing that I would always tell my students is I would say, um, you know, the fact that I'm here teaching the class and you're the student, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm more talented than you. It doesn't mean that I'm smarter than you. It doesn't mean that I'm more creative than you. All that it means is that I've been doing this a lot longer Mm -hmm. than you've been doing it. And that's why I'm the one teaching the class and you're the student. That's it. You know, it's not that there's no like better or less than it's just experience. And I think with experience, if you if you stick with it, I mean, of course, you have to have some talent, you have to have some creativity, there's got to be that raw material that you can work with. But um, it's more like if you just stick with it and keep doing it, you'll get better and better and better. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, right, right now, I'm, I'm much, I'm much better in everything I do than I was like five years ago, or eight years ago. So it just continues to Evolve. So you've worked in both huge network agencies and very small independent ones. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear from you, and obviously this is your personal opinion, the pros and cons of both environments to help our listeners find the right fit for them. Okay. Um, well, one thing that's, I guess, kind of a, a similarity mm-hmm. in both the large agency and the small agency is that you will experience politics and you'll experience the negative aspect of politics in the workplace no matter whether you're at a huge place or a tiny place it's just the way that those politics play out Mm -hmm. will be different in each one like in a really big agency uh you might experience the politics of like if you're a junior um maybe you've got really good ideas but your ideas don't get chosen because there's favorites who are more senior level people and mm-hmm. so you know maybe the the creative director is is friendlier with some of the senior teams and decides that he always wants to lean on those people mm-hmm. you know he or she or whoever your creative director may be uh, wants to always kind of go with these senior people that they're that they like or whatever mm-hmm. right so that's the negative aspect of that whereas in a smaller agency uh, you'll probably get your hands on a lot more stuff a lot quicker and you'll probably you know 
be a lot more of an integral part of the process. But then there's the politics of in a smaller place, it's kind of like a lot of the times there's almost a, like a family environment, mm-hmm. which which can be good, but it can also be bad too. It's almost like a, you know, like a, a home home run sort of business, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's hard to explain really without like actually being in it and seeing it, like you know, for yourself. Right. But um, th- I think there's a lot of times you can have the uh, illusion of having more job security in a really big agency because it's you know it's a big network yeah. and you know all these employees but then at the same time those are the those are the ones where you'll always read the stories about you know so and so laid off you mass know, layoffs yeah yeah mass layoffs at wherever so it's weird I mean it's it's um, I mean I like I like both you know mm-hmm. I like big places I like small places and there's there's good and bad in both really yeah it is such a personal obviously there's no right or wrong answer to this question because mm-hmm. it is such a personal thing I agree with with what you said about smaller agencies getting your hands on more stuff especially yeah. when you're just starting out um, mm-hmm. I always feel like someone who works at a small agency their experience in a couple of years will take them like so much farther than this you know the same amount of time maybe at a bigger agency where there is more kind of hierarchy and they're sort of relegated to certain tasks or, you know, certain accounts that are smaller um, versus yeah. at a small agency, it's like there are only so many hands to work on, you know, whatever work comes in the door. So often you're put on, on a lot of real clients and you get in front of clients sooner. But at the same time, <clears throat> and this was much, very much my experience too, at small agencies, you know, you're kind of just thrown in. There's not like a ton of people to hold your hand or yeah. tell you what's what. And so you sort of have to figure a lot on your own, which can be awesome. But, you know, for some people can also be quite uncomfortable, especially when you're starting out and you don't feel like you know anything. And so the yeah. structure of a bigger agency where they have things in place like onboarding and you know mm-hmm. uh, talent development, especially at the lower level, um, might be more comfortable. So it really is such a like a, according to you know your own personality. Yeah, and another thing too, a lot of a lot of times the bigger agencies are the ones that have like the more high profile clients. So if you're really into working on a really big brand, then you know, chances are you're going to get more of an opportunity to work on a big brand if you go to uh, a bigger agency. I think another thing to think, I always think about too, is like variety of clients. Like you said, you might work on a big brand at a bigger agency, but then you might only be working on that one brand for an indefinite period of time, which can be a little bit limiting or burn you out. Um, I've heard a lot of people be like, I can't think about this one vertical and this one client like anymore. Whereas yeah. at a small agency, again, they don't have the luxury of having separate teams on all the different clients. So you're probably across three or four at a time. So, yeah. you know, a variety of problems, different types of assignments, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I really like working on a lot of different accounts at the same time. I mean, it's, it's really nice because if you if you run into some sort of a roadblock with one, you just kind of shift over to the other. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's almost like, like a, like a built in problem solver because you get hung up in one place and you go, Oh, you know, shelve that for a second. Let's think about this other thing. And yeah. then 
you come back later and you've got fresh ideas for that one. Totally, totally. Yeah. So in your experience, you've also worked all over the globe, uh, including Hungary, the Philippines, and Moscow. Yeah. Um, I want you to know how the local culture influences the experience at these agencies in these different countries. Um, I've found that mainly the way that the, the local culture uh, influences the experience is it, it comes out in the tonality and the messaging of, of what you can say, like okay. what you can get away with. Interesting. Uh, certain places you can get away, like, you know, be less politically correct mm -hmm. and do things that would never fly in America. Um, it's weird because, like, America, you know, for, for being so, you know, quote-unquote free, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways we're not that free when it comes to our ideas in terms of like what you can actually do because there's it's like there's these written and unwritten rules about what you can say and what you can do and uh you know i found in in other places that i've worked those rules don't apply mm. and that's actually kind of kind of nice but it was a little bit hard for me uh in certain places because my own personal like frame of reference of what I thought was, you know, funny or, you know, interesting, uh, it didn't translate to yeah. where I was. Like, for example, um, I was I was working on uh, Pepsi Max when I was in Moscow mm -hmm. and I had this idea where the whole idea revolved around an old bit from Morris Day in the Time. Do you remember Morris Day in the Time? Yeah. And he had, like, Morris Day was, like, the front man, and he had Jerome hold his mirror. Yeah. And he'd always have Jerome come up and, like, put his mirror up so he could check his hair. So I had this, I can't even remember exactly what the script was, but it was what I thought was a really funny script <laughs> involving Morris, you know, and yeah. Jerome, and Pepsi Max, of course. And I read it, and, like, the whole room is like what because nobody even knew like right. that nobody knew who they were so you know you can you can go to a place and think like okay i'm going to take my my varied cultural experience that i have and i'm going to bring it over here and it's going to be cool because it'll it'll be a fresh look at things and sometimes it works out perfectly and it's it's great yeah. um but then sometimes it just gets lost yeah so i mean i i love it when you've got a really diverse office full of people that all come from different places and have different backgrounds because I feel like the the broader your palette of ideas is mm -hmm. the more you've got to pick from and I mean throughout my career the least enjoyable the least enjoyable working environments that I've ever been at mm -hmm. are places where everybody else looked like me mm. you know and I've been at a few places where it's like, wow, all these people have the same background that I have. You know, they they had the same experiences growing up. They came from the same place, right. whatever. Those are the least interesting places to work at. The most interesting places are the ones where it's like you've got people from all over the world, from every background. And it's like you start talking and like, well, you know what was your home like what what is you know what kind of music do you like and right. everybody's like sharing stuff and then and then you just get these these new combinations that 
when it works, it's great. Right. But like I said, sometimes it doesn't work at all. Right. Can, it might be a little bit harder to get to those like times when it does work, but when it does, it's like so magical. Like there's that mm-hmm. alchemy. Whereas like if you have a room where everyone looks the same and has the same backgrounds, it's probably easier to get to consensus on an idea, but that idea is probably not as strong or, you know, as resonant with who you're trying to talk to because yeah. not everyone out there looks like you do. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's, I mean, like when I was in Hungary, we did, uh, we did these McDonald's commercials where McDonald's was, uh, McDonald's rolled out like a Mexican uh, food items menu in in Hungary. So it was just bizarre because the whole thing, like the idea was that people never really understand other cultures as much as they think that they do. Oh, interesting. So it was like, the the voiceover was my Hungarian uh, partner at the time. He was talking all about stuff that he knew about Mexico, and it was all completely wrong. <laughs> like, it was all yeah. totally false. Yeah. But, you know, then at the end, it's like, you know, if you want the real taste right. of Mexico, come to McDonald's, right. which also is kind of crazy I because there's nothing completely real Mexican about McDonald's either, but... <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it was fun, you know, it was fun. And that's kind of one of those things where, like I was saying just before, there's certain things that you can't get away with in America. And I think that was, that was one of those things that we could not have done for American McDonald's, but in Hungary it worked. So that was cool. (laughs) You co-wrote a Super Bowl spot for Chrysler with Bob Dylan. Yeah. How did that come about, and what was it like to work with one of the greats? Well, that was a really, really crazy experience, and uh, to this to this date, definitely the most high profile thing I've ever worked on mm-hmm. in the uh, ad business. Uh, it was it started when I was at Global Hue in Detroit, and uh, one of at the time. Uh, Jeep was Global Hue's, um, you know, Jeep was was one of uh, Global Hue's clients, and but Chrysler, you know, Chrysler does like it's Fiat, and then Fiat has Chrysler and Jeep, and um, that whole group would do what they called uh, jump ball assignments. Okay, and so they've got all these different agencies doing all this work for them for all their different brands. Okay. But then occasionally they would they would put out these projects that they call jump balls, and so basically every single agency that works for them in any capacity can submit an idea. Right. So I mean there was um, there was ideas submitted by everybody, and uh, I I wrote this script, and this is before Dylan was even attached to it. Mm-hmm. It was just I just wrote the script and the you know the main client who was this you know very eccentric type of dude he was the guy that uh that was responsible for the m&m spot you know they imported from detroit and then the yep. next year they did the clint eastwood the halftime in america right and so they wanted to you know continue on that like have a big you know have a big kind of iconic star deliver this kind of big manifesto type message and uh he just he loved the script and you know then we won it we won the won the business and then after that we found out that we got Dylan on board which was just insane because i thought you know he'll never there's no way there's no way he'll go for it you know cuz like 
we were talking about all these different celebrities, and sure. I remember we were sitting around like thinking about all these different people to that we could get attached to it, and people were throwing out all kinds of names of like you know pretty much every star you can think of. Somebody brought that name up, yeah. Um, but I don't even remember who it is that that brought up Dylan. It it wasn't me that came up with Dylan, but somebody did, and then they approached him, and he said, "Yeah." And, uh, and then, so we were just amazed with that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool because he liked the script. And so, I mean, as a writer, you know, you're a writer and you know that Bob Dylan likes yeah. something that you wrote. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and then he wanted to, you know, add a few things and change a few things. And, you know, we said, fuck yeah. yeah you can, you're like, do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Yeah. You're Bob Dylan. Of yeah. course you can change a few things yeah. about the script. So. He added some stuff, uh, and you know, in the end, it was it was probably eighty percent what I wrote, and like twenty percent of what he added here and there, and uh, you know, came came out here. I was living in Detroit at the time, and flew out here and and uh, shot the spot and met Dylan. It was just a real quick, like you know, two day shoot. Yeah, he was he was cool. He was very um, very low key, you know very like reserved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know he wasn't it was you know it wasn't like he was rude or standoffish it's just you know he just wants to kind of do his thing and then yeah. go back to the trailer like you yeah. know some people like to just hang out and you know talk to everybody and right. just be in the mix and you know he didn't want to be in the mix but like you understand why oh, yeah. after the life that guy's lived yeah i mean that must have been like so amazing not only as a writer but like as a musician too to yeah to be able to work with him um you know even just in this capacity obviously yeah. not like making music for it but just to be like writing with him i mean that, that would, i imagine would be like so thrilling we always end these interviews with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given I know. I when I was like reading the outline, I read that. And I'm like, man, I had to think about it for one. a while, <laughs> and I, I, I realized in thinking about this that I don't think there is a single best piece of advice that I've ever been given, like where I can just point to one particular thing and yeah. go, "This is it." But I can say that there's definitely um, there's there's actions and ways of being that I've picked up from okay. certain people. Yeah. And one I mean at least in the ad business and you know relating to advertising because that's what we're talking about. There was this guy named Milos Illich and uh, he was the creative director at DDB in Budapest. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when I was a, a student this is back when I really didn't know anything and it was like my first year in ad school. He was one of the guest teachers that we had. And up until that point, all of the guest teachers were very much like um, kind of, I wouldn't say like corporate, mm-hmm. but it was it was like they stuck to the script, you know? Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's my work. Here's the work that we do. Right. And then they'd go, you need to be like this. You need to do that. You know, you need to, if you want to be successful in the ad business, you got to do this. Yeah. And then you'd, you'd, you'd sit in their class and you know when it was your time to present you'd have to like stand up and then you'd you'd stand up and it was almost like kind of like a like a militaristic sort of thing mm-hmm. and Milos came over and for his presentation he showed a couple of the 
the pieces that DDB had done. But then he showed this film of this guy who made these like robotic sculptures. And it was like this short film of his sculptures walking on the beach. That's so cool. And I was like, wow, this dude is like completely just other. Right. You know? And then and then we we sat in the class and he was like, yeah, you don't have to get up to present. You could just, you know, just, you want to sit down? You can sit down and yeah. present. And I was like, this is the coolest motherfucker that I've <laughs> ever met. You know, I yeah. just absolutely loved him. Like I loved, I said, that's, that's how I want to be. You know, I want to, I want, I want everything to be about just ideas and about life mm-hmm. and not about you need to do it like this or do it like that or you know you better impress me with your ideas it's just it's like we're just all people and like you know i mean not to get too like hippie-ish about yeah. it but you know it just his his approach was just very much like we're just talking about possibilities and concepts and that's that's what creativity is all about creativity is just about the possibility like what could be and so that guy was definitely the biggest influence on me as far as how I think about advertising and how I do what I do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it wasn't one piece of advice, but it was like one influence that I that I picked up in all of his, you know, actions and the way that he did things. And I said, you know, that's that's the approach that I'm going to have when I'm working. Oh, I love that. I love that it just influenced kind of like yeah, your whole approach versus, you know, be like an isolated piece that, that someone told you. We've never had someone actually talk about it that way. So I think that's awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. Patrick, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I'm glad we got to like hear a little small slice of your your career that obviously you've done like so many cool things in, and um, I appreciate you you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Where can people keep up with you? Um, well, if you'd like to see some of the work that I've done, my portfolio site is uh, BuchananReal.com, and that's B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N-R-E-E-L, as in film reel, not real, like I'm real. <laughs> like I'm real. <laughs> yeah. BuchananReal.com. And uh, if you want to just write me an email or get in touch about anything, uh, the email address is BuchananReal, same thing, at gmail.com. And you can look me up on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, I have like a Twitter and an Instagram, but I don't ever post anything. <laughs> I just I just have them so that I can like see what other people yeah. are doing. I'm very much like just a voyeur, voyeur. because I'm... I'm sort of a private person, so I don't want to always like put everything out. Like, hey, check it out! I just went to the store. Look what I just bought. You know, so there's really nothing to see on my Twitter or my Instagram. So just uh, look at the portfolio site, and if you want to write me, just you know, write me a message, and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure people will do so, and and will appreciate you being available to them to you know help them as they get their start. Thank you yeah. so much again. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Patrick. From our conversation, it was clear that he has a ton of other stories, so hit him up, and I'm sure he'll be happy to share. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, check out all of our resources, from our job board, 
our weekly email, and the We Are Next Index. You can find everything at we-r-next.com. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week, and I hope you can join us next week for Starting Strong, our online events. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.